battle belongs to the Lord. There could not have been a more perfect introduction to this sermon. You'd have sworn we got together earlier and figured it out. I meant to, but I forgot. (laughs) But John remembered, thankfully, and that is wonderful. Yes, the battle is the Lord's. How often we are overcome with fears and worries and doubts, and we forget to just take our cares to the Lord and leave them there. For the battle does indeed belong to him. If you will be turning in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel. The book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17 and starting at verse 45. We have the following. Then said David to the Philistine, They comest to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, unto mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, And to the wild beasts of the earth. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. The Philistines had gathered themselves against the armies of Israel. And the Israelites were terrified to go out and face them. And they were mocking them. They were saying, there is no God in Israel. He's invisible. Show me your God. They dared mock God. This passage shows us the undying confidence of David. And David at this time was not the great seasoned warrior that we know in later books. He was a young shepherd boy. An untrained soldier. But he was in the providential care of Almighty God. And for this day's lesson, I want us to narrow our study. There's a statement that David made when he said the battle is the Lord's. We're paying particular attention to 1 Samuel 17 verse 47, which says the battle is the Lord's. David made this statement before he went to fight against the giant Goliath. And I'm sure you remember how David defeated Goliath. He was the champion of the Philistines. Now, many people do not understand the origins of the Philistines. They were basically Greeks. And the ancient Greeks had this kind of a, of, of, of a statement that they would make in battle. They would send out their champion and call for the enemy to send, send out their champion. And they'd fight it to the death. And whoever won, won the victory. So this is what has been shouted out here. But what does David use? Does he use a special sword or a special spear? No. With the smooth stone that he took from the brook, David was able to overcome this giant and deliver the people of God. Now, that little stone itself wasn't sufficient to do the job. And the strong arm of young David was certainly not sufficient. And of all the people who were there that day, perhaps David realized more than anyone else just how insufficient he was. Therefore, David said, the battle is the Lord's. 
So today we are engaged in a conflict between the forces of good, of light, and the forces of evil. And as this conflict continues to grow against us, I'm sure you're aware of the fact that we're not sufficient within ourselves to overcome it. There is not enough power within us, within us alone and apart from God, to overcome this enemy. And Jesus illustrated this so well when he gave unto us the story in Luke chapter 12 of a man who became rich and abundantly blessed when his harvest was so great that his barns weren't able to hold the fruit of his goods. They were bursting. He said in Luke twelve nineteen, I will say to my soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Eat, drink, and be merry. But while he was thinking that, relying on his own sufficiency, full of pride and boastfulness, God said, Luke twelve twenty, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. So here's an example of where a man thought he was sufficient within himself, and God showed unto him clearly and unmistakably his insufficiency. Centuries ago, a man who was physically, mentally, and morally strong, he was well-educated and intelligent. In fact, he was a prince. He went out for a walk and saw one of the enemies of his people smite one of his brethren. So he killed the man and hid his body in the sand. But the next day he went out to talk with his brethren, thinking that surely they would understand why he had done. They would understand this patriotic act. That he had come to deliver them from slavery. But they said, will you kill us like you did that Egyptian? Exodus 2 verse 14. I'm talking about Moses. And so Moses fled. And 40 years later, God told him that he would have him go down into Egypt. And deliver his people from slavery. But now notice the difference in the attitude of Moses. You see our attitude matters. It truly does. Forty years ago he thought that surely his brethren would understand what he, that he was the man who would deliver them in his strength. But forty years later he replied to God. Who am I that I should do this great thing? Exodus 3 and verse 7, uh, Exodus 3 and verse 11. He had learned to rely upon the sufficiency of God, the strength of God, his power, his deliverance. It sometimes takes a long time to learn our insufficiency. And as we battle against the forces of evil, one of the first things that we must learn to recognize is that we are not sufficient within ourselves. We are not sufficient to stand alone. But the good news is we don't have to stand alone. We're not strong enough to stand without God. But he stands with us. He fights for us. The battle is his. And we must turn the battle over to him. No matter what it might be. Whether it be a physical battle. Or a battle against depression. A battle against cancer. A battle against anything. When we're terrified where do we go? Go to the Lord and bring it to him because the God of angel armies is able to save us. He is able to fight for us. We need to realize that this is the Lord's battle. We are not battling, therefore, for ourselves. We are not aspiring to the glory and the honor that may come to the victory. You see, to the Philistine mind, 
when Goliath went out, he was battling for his own glory, for his own valor. But not so David. To the Philistine mind, when he was shouting to Israel, do you have a champion to come and fight for me? He was giving them the opportunity to fight, perhaps to die, perhaps to live, and to be remembered gloriously forever. Just as the heroes of the Iliad and the Odyssey were. But it was all about self, about self-glorification. But this is not what we find with David. It's not what we find with Moses. And it's not the attitude that we should have. The battle is the Lord's. And we trust in his mighty arm. We are not aspiring to the glory and the honour. No. Instead, we are striving rather for the principles and the power of the gospel. And we're fighting against the dominions of darkness. We are endeavouring to lead people to Christ and out of slavery to Satan and sin. We aren't trying to set up some earthly dominion. We're not seeking to establish some earthly powerful political kingdom. Instead, we're seeking something far greater to lead people to the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world, John 1 verse 29. You see, when Jesus lived and walked among men, he didn't seek to glorify himself, even though he deserved all glory. Nor did he seek to defend his person. When he was questioned as he stood before Pilate, he replied not. When they spat in his face and hit him, not a word did he say. Yet when the word of God or the counsel of Almighty God was attacked, the Lord Jesus Christ was the first to respond to its defense. It's not a matter of defending our person or ourselves. It is a matter of fighting the Lord's battle. Now there are those who think that because the battle is the Lord's, that the Lord ought to fight it. But listen, the Lord provides us the tools and gives us the opportunity of serving him and fighting the battle against the forces of sin and evil. And this is a privilege and an honour to serve. We are not interested in the spoils of war. We are interested in the souls of men and women. Without realising it, all men who live upon the face of God's earth today are engaged in this battle. And it's important for you to realise that you are on one side or the other. You're either fighting for the Lord or you're fighting for the devil. So which side are you on? When the people didn't know which way to go and what they wanted to choose, Joshua said, Choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord, Joshua 24 and verse 15. And there's a question in the Holy Bible that goes something like this. Who is on the Lord's side? It is time for the people of God to stand up and be counted. Because Jesus said over in Matthew 12 verse 30, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. There's no neutrality in the battle between light and darkness. You're either with him or against him. And he's either with you or against you. It becomes perfectly clear from reading the 8th chapter of the book of John that Jesus recognised the existence of only two kinds of people in the world. 
And it wasn't male and female or black and white or Republican and Democrat. It was the children of God and the children of the devil. Therefore, you are either fighting for one or fighting for the other. Some people might say they're neutral. Someone might say, I'm not on the devil's side, but I've never come out on the Lord's side. I'm occupying neutral territory. I'm certainly not doing anything for the devil, but I am not doing much for the Lord either. Friends, that's an impossible position. If you're doing nothing for the Lord, you are doing something for the devil. Listen again to the words of Jesus. He that is not with me is against me. Matthew twelve thirty. How much clearer could he be? He that is not with me is against me. So you're either fighting for the Lord or you're fighting for the devil. You're either God's weapon or the devil's tool. There has never been a fight in the history of man that could be said that it was fought for nothing. Men don't fight for nothing. They fight for something. And the only description that I know and the only definition that I can use of the word nothing is just the word nothing. Jesus said, you're either with me, you're either for me or against me. So if you're for Christ, you are against the devil, correct? If you are for the church, you are against religious division, against division, against anything that would help the devil. Because if you're for Christ, then you're against the rulers of the dominions of darkness. You can't be for him and his church and absolutely say that you are against nothing. Because you must be. We must be against the things that Christ is against. In the sixth chapter of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul recognized this principle. Over in Ephesians 6 verse 12, he said, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The meaning of that is simply stated by Paul over in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Now notice again in Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Notice that he uses the word against four times in that verse. Why, Paul, do you mean to say we shouldn't take a negative view of some things? Yes, indeed. We need to take a negative view of sin because it tears men and women away from God. We need to take a negative view of selfishness. If we're to follow Christ, we are to follow his example. And there has never been a more selfless man that has ever lived. You see, yes, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against those powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world. We're against the doctrines and the practices that are leading people astray. We are against spiritual wickedness in high places, the darkness and the dominion of Satan. Again, in the sixth chapter of the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul said in 6 verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And I want you to pay particular attention to the word stand. Notice again in verse 13, Wherefore take unto you the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. 
It is interesting if you make a study on the armour of God as described in Ephesians, there is no backplate. There's no backplate because we do not turn on the enemy. We do not surrender. The famous Spartans, even more famous in those days, were told by their mothers and their wives to come back with their shields or on them. In other words, fight to the death, either be victorious or die with honor. But there is no surrender to the enemy, no compromise. We don't give them an inch. The next verse he writes, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having the, the, on the breastplate of righteousness, and spiritual, sorry, the breastplate of righteousness. And you notice that Paul said to stand for something. Stand for it. He said it four times. He said, stand for something, the same number of times in the same passage. And I want to emphasize again that if you stand for something, you stand against something. And the battle is the Lord's battle. God has sent his people forth to do battle and has encouraged them to the very extent that they may have undying faith and confidence in his watch, in his care and his keeping, just as David did. We ought to say what Joshua uh, occupied, that we, we, we might say that Joshua occupied that a peculiar position. He had been one of the generals in the army of God under the leadership of Moses. And we can naturally therefore assume that Joshua was somewhat timid and frightened about taking the grand position that Moses had occupied through 40 years with the armies of Israel. And how did God seek to encourage this man so he wouldn't be so timid? Here's what he told him. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Joshua 1 verse 5. And you might say, yes, but these are words for Joshua. They're not for me. That's true. But in the New Testament, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. And that's why Paul said, therefore, stand. In this battle against the forces of evil, opposition should not terrify us. Even though we know that opposition is going to come. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 to 17, in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, our divine Redeemer said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And over in the fifth chapter of the book of Acts, we learn that his disciples took this attitude in the days of the early church. And it is a blessed attitude. Acts 5 verse 41. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They had been told by the highest religious authority of the day to shut up. But did they? No. They went down, they preached the gospel anyway. And thousands were saved. And thousands more the next day. And thousands more the next day. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 16, Peter said, Therefore, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this name. 
And the Apostle Paul wrote, Yea, if any man would live godly in Christ Jesus, he shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12. The devil's not going to leave us alone because we're Christians. The devil's going to come after us with everything he's got. Yes, there are more and more of those who oppose Christians and the Christian faith day by day. They are a growing number. They oppose Christ, the truth. They oppose the Bible. There are those who oppose Christ in his time. There were those who opposed Paul. There were those who opposed the Apostle Peter. There were those who opposed Stephen to the extent that he became the first Christian martyr. But if you remember the Bible account in Acts, what did Jesus, reigning in heaven, sitting on the throne beside God the Father, what did he do? He stood up. He noticed what had happened to his good and faithful servant. When they persecute us, they persecute him. We are the apple of his eye. And you do not want to pick a fight with the living God. There will be those who will oppose you and persecute you if you stand for the truth. But remember the words of David. The battle is the Lord's. We need not be afraid that we are fighting in a cause that is just and that is right. Because God has sent us forth to do battle. And there's no unrighteousness in God. None whatsoever. He is altogether correct and pure and good. People may say, oh Christians, you're not with it. You're not with the age. You're not being very politically correct. That's right. We're BC, not PC. We're biblically correct. We're out to please God and not to please man. If we love him and we do, then we fight readily and willingly for the sacred and divine principles of truth that God Almighty has delivered unto us in his word. Now over in Mark 16, 16, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. These are divine principles given to us from the divine prince of peace. Now you might be asking, what do we fight with? If we wrestle against flesh and blood, if we wrestle against the kingdoms of this world, then what do we fight and how do we fight in it? Well, if we wrestle... Against the kingdoms of this world, we have weaponry. God has not left us weaponless. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 6.12 again. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness and so on. And the weapon with which God has provided his people is the very best weapon. The sword of the spirit, the very word of God. This weapon is so terrifying that countries that hold on to nuclear weapons and biological weapons will ban this for fear of it. Their fear of it getting out. Their fear of it getting out and spreading amongst its people. I know of a poor man in Vietnam. And he was put in prison because he had supported the Americans during the war. One of the things they did was they put him on latrine duty. But their latrine duty was absolutely horrendous. They had a pit. And he was thrown in the pit. Underneath it where they would go. And when they were finished doing what they do. They took their paper. Which were Bibles. 
They had Bibles and they used the Bible for toilet paper. They tore pages out of it and they threw it down on top of him. He got those pages. Can you imagine the horror of this? But he took those pages. He read those pages. He became a Christian in his mind. And once he escaped, he got right with God. And yes, he came to America. Very wise man. You can see the sword of the word of God overcame the plans of some of the most wicked people that you can imagine. These are the enemies we find. And behind their twisted philosophies are the powers of darkness. The devil himself. The sword that is the word of God has never destroyed the life of anyone. But it has saved the souls of countless people throughout the ages. It has revealed to man and made him conscious of the fact that there are some things that men do that will send their souls to the bottomless pit of hell. But the light of God's truth has revealed unto us the way to go to heaven as well. Through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who gave us life for the sins of the world, we can be saved. We can overcome the forces of darkness that oppose us. And so as we fight with the sword of the Spirit, God's word, we fight not because we hate someone. We seek to turn the searchlight of God's everlasting truth upon his sins and make him conscious of the fact that he needs Jesus in his life. And that the only way that Jesus Christ can come into his life is through an acceptance of God's terms of pardon and God's conditions of salvation. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, Fight the good fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. And he wrote over in his, to his Corinthian brethren, he said, So fight I, not as beating the air. 1 Corinthians nine twenty six. And the picture is this passage is simply this. Paul is alluding to the, to the sport of boxing. He was using that as an example. And those of you who watch the boxing matches on television, sometimes you're acutely aware of the fact that some men who pretend to be boxing are simply flailing in the air. They're not hitting anything. Paul said, I don't fight as one who flails in the air. I have an object to hit. So what is it? What's Paul talking about? He's talking about spiritual wickedness in high places. The exposure of the sins of the human family. Making the human family conscious of their need of the redeeming blood and the efficacy of the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, as Christians, when we hit with the word of God, we're not just hitting in the air. Today we are engaged in a battle. A battle which has already been joined. A battle in which the camps are already arrayed against one another, where one is for the killing of little babies, for the promotion of perversion, a war against God, a war against everything Christian, decent and moral. But the battle is the Lord's. They count him out of the fight, but he's still in the ring and he's not punching air. We fight for the truth of God in whatever field we may find ourselves in. We fight for every commandment of God, involving whatever it takes. We fight to save the soul of every man and every woman, regardless of their colour and nationality, their place of birth or financial condition or educational attainments. The souls of men are precious in the eyes of Almighty God, and so we fight for the souls of people, even if they reject 
the word of God, even if they turn against it. I know of one preacher who was preaching the word, and a woman came up to him, and she spat in his face. But he didn't wipe it away. He said, thank you. Thank you for the medal. It is an honor to serve our God. We cannot escape our responsibilities. We cannot say to our fellow soldier, I'm tired, will you fight for me? The Bible says, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap if ye faint not. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. Therefore the battle cry is loud and clear. Onward, Christian soldiers. We are part of the army of light, and he is our king. And the blood-stained banner of Jesus Christ is unfurled across the great army of the faithful soldiers of Jesus Christ. For we stand in rock solid, without fear and without shame, a formation that will not be broken. We stand to sing the songs of Zion and to fight for God and his truth, to proclaim the gospel and hold on to it for dear life, because your life does depend upon it in this world and the next. If you have not entered the battle on the Lord's side, you need to do it today, right now, by coming in humble, submissive obedience to the gospel of Christ and being baptized that is fully immersed so you can be forgiven of your sins, so that you, along with other faithful Christian soldiers, obedient to your king, may hold up the banner of our Saviour in the face of the forces of darkness and tell them, no, I will not cave in. I will not surrender. Remember he who died for us and who invited us to come to his bleeding side for the remission of our sins by saying in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yes, the battle is the Lord's. Remember what happened with David when he fought Goliath. He didn't go out with a special sword like Excalibur. He didn't go out in a special airplane or or with, with any special kind of things. All he had was just a humble stone. And the Lord used it to strike down the representative of the Philistines and the representative of the gods of the Philistines. David placed his trust in God. Yes, the battle is the Lord's. And you need to be on his side, fighting in a battle of truth before it's too late. Life is full of moments you should seize. This is one of them. This is one of those moments. In Acts twenty-two sixteen, we are told when we are to be baptized. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord. If we believe, then we will be obedient and we will act immediately. The time is short. Seize this moment. Become a Christian if you are not one. And if you are a Christian and you need our help or our prayers, I beg you, while yet you may, get right with God. Outside of him, there's no salvation. There's no neutral territory. In the end, you are either a sheep, a lamb of God, or a goat of the devil. I know I want to be a lamb that belongs to the lamb.
But our Lamb is also the Lion of Zion. He is the great judge and all will stand before him in judgment. Make sure you're right with him so that when he looks at you full in the face, he will smile and that you do not hear the words depart from me. Seize this moment while yet you may. Thank you for your attention. Come.